This is the Richie Wax Show with Vintage Annals Archive Outsider Podcast. Very happy to be here today. Um, we have a very special episode about a book, uh, an amazing book. Um, highly recommend it. It's around 50 bucks. Uh, really, it's printed on newsprint for certain purposes. It's a really great book. I highly recommend it. Called Heads Together Weed and the Underground Press Syndicate, 1965 and 1973. The Youth Uprising, now simply called the 60s, was fed by one of the greatest booms in publishing history the Underground Press Syndicate. It began as a loose confederation of five papers in, in 1966, and within a few years, it swelled to over 500 across the world, reaching millions of readers. They spread like weed, said the UPS director, weed dealer, and eventual founder of High Times, Tom Forcade. The metaphor was apt. The UPS spurred the legalization movement, and we became its totem. We also have today, as, a, as another guest, is Box Brown. He wrote a really great graphic novel in the history of um, essentially weed in America called Cannabis, the Legalization of Weed in America. And he also does a comic strip called Legalization Nation. It's a comic strip aiming to educate the population about what exactly is happening right under their noses. It covers legalization from the ground level perspective, not shying away from black market discussion, patient rights, corporate advantage, and more. People want to legalize weed very much, but don't understand what it looks like in practice because it's happening so fast. So Box Brown is doing this, uh, and you could also check out his Patreon. So again, this is going to be a looser conversation. It's not highly edited. Um, there's two reasons of that. I just saw myself, and editing can take a long time. And plus, I like sometimes to have it just a down-to-earth, non-edited, real-life conversation you get today. If you do want to support this work, we could highly use it. We have a Patreon, vintage, uh, patreon.com, vintage archive, and we could use all the help we can get. I also want to take time to thank our researcher for this episode, Otter DeCastro, or Otter Castro, who has been doing an excellent job and working with us, um, doing some research and some editing. Uh, well, I welcome Otter. Hey, David. What's up, guys? How's it going? Um, this is Brian or Box. How do you want to be referred to? Uh, you could say Brian uh, Box Brown in the beginning, and then just say Brian or Box, whatever. I'd say okay. Um, so I wanted uh, David. I wanted to ask you a question. I meant to to talk to you sooner, but I didn't really get to deal. I've been so busy in in terms of projects that I didn't get to really address this this project till today. I'd read the book and I wanted to do it, but I didn't get to dig a little deeper until this morning. Um, and I realized I had reached out to Box, who to be a co-host, but I'm realizing that he that there's a lot more commonality in you, in your work and his work. So cool. I want your book to be the focus, but are you okay if um, I kind of treat him more as a guest and you guys kind of can, you know, connect in that way? Is that okay if we do that? I would prefer that. It takes, Great. It takes the hate off me. It takes the pressure off. Yeah. Um, and I think the other, the other reason I really think about it, I mean, you know, from my end of this, I, I'm, I collect vintage, you know, I've been, I've been into collecting vintage stuff. I've loved all this stuff for years and years. I've, done my page for, I don't even know, like, I don't know, 12, 13 years. And, you know, you're, I mean, obviously the book you put together was so well done and research and, and Brian is, Box is a really good, I mean, he's to me a really good documentarian and a researcher. So I feel like there's commonality. Um, this is my, look, it's such a joy to connect with fellow fucking nerds. Um, <laughs> uh, nerds? Uh, 
yeah, uh, obsessive. Stoner uh, nerds, stoner uh, nerds, please. Stoner Stop. nerds uh, is, um, it's rare and um, it's yeah. a joy. And I'm gonna yeah. try, honestly, I'm gonna try to just guide things, but I'm gonna kind of stay out of your way because in terms of stoner nerds, you guys are a lot more up there than I am. But I do, but I do see the correlation and I do see, you know, I, I want to facilitate, but I really want it to be more of a conversation with you guys. Although I do want to ask you some direct questions, David, about the project. Um, what I'd like to do, if it's okay with you, is treat this like it's a live interview and do minimal uh, editing. Because I, I don't know, I'm like at a point where either I have to go to AI to do editing or yeah. I have to do it or I have to like, I just can't solve the problem. It's, it's, it's insane. So are you guys okay with kind of treating it like a live interview and just putting it out? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. If there's something you regret having said after it's over and you change your mind, let me know. I'm not going to put this out right away. Maybe a, maybe a week or two, okay. three weeks, you know, um, I want you to be free to have a conversation. And this is really more of a conversation podcast than like a strictly interview. Um, it's fine by me. If I say okay. anything really dumb, I, I, I will let you know. I'm sure I will. It's, I'm more concerned about like, you know, I don't know. I mean, I get, you know, we live in a fucked up cancel culture and you never know what the fuck is going to piss somebody off, but I don't care. That's um, kind of weirdly my only like concern is if I'm like, fuck, would that be taken the wrong way? Then maybe, but I, I so don't think that's it. That being said, if you... I could also send you the episode and ask you to get back to me in a week and you could review it if you want. I do offer that, but it's very unlikely. Okay. But it, but it does take the stress off if I know I can. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the important part. I want people to have a, you know, be able to have an honest conversation. Yeah. Um, so what we're going to talk about today is the book, your book heads together, weed and underground press syndicate, 1965 to 73. And again, I want to point out that it's a great companion piece in my opinion to boxes, um, cannabis legalization of weed in America, and your and um, your comic. Your, would you call it an online comic? Is that the way to refer to your? Uh, I call it a comic strip. Comic strip legalization nation, and I just feel like there's you, you guys both cover um, common ground, and I think Box is such a good researcher that he goes a lot to the past. I'm I'm kind of assuming once we talk, we're gonna find out that maybe some of the stuff you've put together, he's research, he's like uses research. Who knows? Um, sure. So for you, yeah. just for you, just for you, David, how did this, you know, how did this project come about? How long did you work on it? Why was it important for you to do this work? Yeah. Um, okay. I could Big go question. Take your time. With that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I asked myself this question. Um, I think that growing up with a dad who was a pothead um, <laughs> and a kind of weekend hippie, Okay. You know, um, <laughs> that's would, that should be the title. That sounds like book. my dad. <laughs> yeah, I think you know my dad is interesting. I think I, I think a lot of you know kids are obviously kind of you know maybe I don't know. I was you know interested in my dad. He you know he was a his parents were Holocaust survivors, and you know he came out to Sydney, Australia, and uh, you know. Uh, got a job, uh, sorry, became a lawyer and, you know, but I think he, he, he was a big hippie in the, in the, in the 60s, obviously. And um, I think he kind of had that immigrant mentality, but, you know, on the, during school holidays, I'd get taken to communes and, you know, like nudist communes, you know, <laughs> where I'd be humiliated in front of my friend that I had brought with us. And, you know, I, I was just, you know, and then, you know, on, on, on Friday nights, like at the Shabbos table, you know, my dad and his friends would be smoking weed around the table. And I always had very wholesome 
uh, associations with it. You know, my dad was kind of stressed during the week and wouldn't really engage. Um, but then on the weekends, he was high and really fun. And, you know, we'd watch movies with talking animals and he would just laugh himself, you know, uh, silly. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I, you know, and then I just, as, can, I, David, can, I know, can I chime in for a second? I just want to point yeah. out that, um, as a stoner, as a Jewish stoner myself, I do, I call my, I, I call, um, my Shabbat hippie Shabbat, where I just allow myself to pretty much smoke and watch a bunch of movies. Yeah, but I, I do follow Shabbat, but it's all about just like, not really. I'm not religious Jew, but it's about self care and about just be, do, having a day where I don't have to fucking earn anything. I don't have to be a good capitalist. I can just fucking so you know. I just want to relate that to, to you because it's you know. I'm, I'm, oh yeah, that's sounds me like and that's my what wife. it sounds like. That's what your dad was doing. For... Well, me and my wife on Friday nights, uh, we take edibles and uh, you know read and chill and take our dog for a long walk and nice. you know, but. Um, but yeah, so, and my dad, you know, we had like, he had like Chrome comics, he had, you know, records and, you know, so this was, it, it was something that was curious to me. And then, um, you know, I started growing some plants and became interested in these grower guides from the sixties. Yeah. Um, and it, I just loved the format of them. When I started looking, the, the, the publishers were always cryptic because, right. <laughs> because it was still contraband, you know, maybe yeah. not. On, on maybe maybe uh, legally you know you had the right to free speech but that doesn't mean that the pub the, the printers of these publications weren't harassed and um and and the 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 edit the authors of these uh you know growers guides weren't followed by the FBI you know and um so that you know you had these uh kind of cryptic publisher names like Stone uh, Kingdom Syndicate you know where there's uh -huh. no the, the the author was Mary Jane Superweed. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. a long tradition of uh, the fake names in uh, still, you know, for for growers, you know, even like um, big name growers, you, you know, as like or for cannabis people, it'll be like known as their nickname really right. and not like their real name because there's all of this clandestine shit going on forever. Totally. Now it's a little different, I guess, if you're on the legal side. But this is a good point to bring up that I, what I like about the book is that you throw a lot of humor in there. You make points of talking about when hippies would just as a, as a way to fuck with someone, you know, I mean, like that, like code names as, as a way to kind of screw with people would do certain things just to just to kind of fuck with the with the powers that be because they knew they couldn't do much more. Yeah, oh, yeah. There's there's the, the provost in in Amsterdam used to make fake weed out of cat shit. <laughs> um, and and then call the cops on themselves and then the cops would come and they would say why and they would find this fake weed and then they'd say why are you arresting us for cat shit because you know it was it, it you know the pot was considered so uh, incendiary and that was so laughable to a lot of these groups that it was a fun you know kind of lightning rod to to fuck with cops yeah um, freak out the squares I yeah. want to get I just want to get back because I want to like I want to get a little bit of focus on why this book exists and then I feel like we can kind of go all around the place but just totally. for you know okay. just because oh. I want to promote the book if you can just you know just yeah, yeah, bring but... it back to like again your process what you know I think you answered why in terms of your dad would that that would yeah yeah um I can tell you so so I got into these grower guides because I like the format they, yeah. they they were interesting 
you could get them cheap. You can find them, you know, they're, they're, no one else wants them. So I, could, I, I just went obsessively collecting, you know, these nice. late, these 60s, early 70s ones. You guys, I'm sure, can uh, relate to that. How many um, would you say there were in all, all together? I think I've got all of them. I think I have like 30. Wow. But, wow. Um, um, but what I also liked about them was that they were growers guides, but there was, first of all, an artfulness to them. I interviewed one guy who had the most popular one because it was sold in the um, Whole Earth catalog. He sold over a million of them. Wow. Uh, the, the, the Cultivator's Handbook. But he couldn't use photos because that would be legal. You know, they would say, where did you get this weed from? So he had his friend illustrate it, you know, draw right. them, uh, you know. And so there's this artfulness to it. And then there was also this kind of intellectual side to it where, you know, they would include quotes from, you know, uh, Tully Kupferberg, uh, you know, the- They were from the Fugs, right? The Fugs, yeah. yeah. You know, they would, he, he would contribute to it and there would be, you know, um, uh, quotes from Ginsburg or something. And that, so there was this melding of, uh, of uh, gro you know, DIY growing, artisanal growing, sharing that information, illegality, uh, intellectual kind of culture and then art, you know, that was like outsider art. And so all, all these and, and the accessibility of them, because no one else really wanted them. And, and also that they'd never been collected. Yeah, I was, you know, and shown together. That was kind of interesting to me. And that, you know, I'd already be, been interested in, in the underground press syndicate. And I was like, this is a whole thing, you know, so let's let, let me focus yeah. this for a second. I don't mean to cut you off. I just I want to focus it because I really I want to kind of propose an idea and then i just want to sort of all talk and let go I, i'm going to kind of let go of trying to do this formally because i feel like we're going to have a much better conversation just having a conversation but i think the focus of this book is ups i think yeah. what i got from reading it was you know I, I look i mean i do this page i look at the past i'm not inter interested in the past on its own unless it gives you got a, a, a roadmap to how to do this stuff now so to me yeah. the interest is like well it, does that, you know, is there a similar, you know, how can we do, how can we work like that? How can, you know, so um, what I want to do is I want to, and I want to point out that uh, Box, that Brian's background is, is he's a very well, very famous comic artist. He, um, right. the, the kind of book he did, uh, you've done, uh, Andre John, I mean, you speak, speak about your work for a second in terms of uh, researching and in terms of um, comic, just speak about your comic work, because I feel like, what I didn't know, I didn't, I had somebody help me research this and I didn't notice just for time and I didn't really notice all the comic reference. So I was like, oh shit. Like I just knew, I knew to ask Brian to box me with co-host, but I didn't know why necessarily. And then right. I was like, right now I do. So I do, I kind of want to go into the UPS and then I want to, you know, I want to tie that to comics because we have experts in both areas. And I think that might be the best way to have this conversation if you're okay with that. Right. So like, uh, I think you, it's, is that uh, okay with you as well, David? Oh, I would love that. Yeah. Great. Um, so I think it's interesting. The, uh, um, you know, it's all like, this is like a, what you're talking about history, Rich. This is, you know, when you look back at like the history books, you often don't get the uh, voice of the average person. Like it just doesn't show up. Like that just is gone. It's like all, you know, the people who are important whatever it's their history and like these zines like these growers guides are like working class people like the people on the ground and it's like you're saving it that voice for posterity that normally gets like washed away in this the sands of time or whatever um 
Oh, yeah. So also we're, you're talking about like, so this is also zine culture that still exists now. This is all like the, the four fathers of the, of what that exists. Like what I do now, like alternative comics goes back to has a, the same origin spot, you know, um, as these growers guides and stuff, anything that got sold at head shops, it was like the alternative press. Right. Right. So it was like uh, crumb and, uh, you know, um, uh What's the other uh, the other dude? I mean, Crom, Kim Deitch. Oh, yeah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, I mean, there was um, there was kind of like those guys were given an international platform through the underground press. You know, um, they never got paid, but I think important, like for maybe people listening who don't know what the underground press is. This was a, uh, a, a, a shared agreement of non-proprietary content, which meant that um, if you joined this syndicate, it meant that you had to send your paper to every other paper in the network, and you were allowed to pull any article or artwork that appeared in that paper for free. So, you know, Crumb, who was obviously one of the most popular you know, uh, 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 artists of the time, you know, I, I actually, and, and Kim Deitch too. And I, I spoke to Kim Deitch about it and he was really young when he was working for the East Village mm-hmm. Other, but he said he'd go to a, a bookstore or a head shop and he'd see his art in 10 underground presses, you know? And he's like, I didn't get paid for that. But, you <laughs> right. know, it was like, but to a young artist, it was, you know, incredible to see myself across the world. And, you know, and Spain Rodriguez too, you know, was, was probably another one, especially in the East Village other, you know, who were given this amazing international platform and enough money and to to support themselves and just work on their art. Let me so, ask you a quick question. I'm sorry. Did Art Spiegelman kind of play a role in this stuff in some way or not so much? He was involved in the underground press a little later. Yeah. Right the on, reason I, yeah. I bring him up is because he, like he, I watched a documentary that he, um, uh, that about garbage pail kids which he was a big part of mm-hmm. and you know you talk about subversion he was you know that that there's a whole politics there but um uh what i wanted to say real quick is i want to make sure we include the females because i know you you had listed there's you'd said something about um women's comics so i just want to take two more little things to say and then i'll get out of your way i want to include who the women were because you don't i don't think you care about you hear about crumb you don't hear about the women who were doing this stuff and i you see something about the women's w-i-m-n-e-s the women's comics um, UPS artists band together to publish women's comics. I'm curious about that. And then what I want to say is you guys can also ask questions of each other if you mm-hmm. want, because uh, we're, I don't know, it's so hard to figure out. I just wanted to be mixed up. You guys are both have done a lot of great things and, and done this research. And I don't know, I just kind of want to like try to get out of your way and, and have you guys, and I, I'll jump in if I need to, I might want to, I do want to cover a few things, but I'm going to try to stay out of your way. Is that cool? Oh yeah, I mean, I I could <laughs> ramble like I on about to say this that. stuff for forever. This is this is like to be able to talk about this stuff after yeah. being stuck in it alone for years is uh, very gratifying. Yeah, and as I'm sure you can attest to that, Brian, as a comic artist of oh my god, yes. hours and hours. That's the reason I don't do I do photography because I need to be around people. I could not do what you guys do. I could not sit you know i don't know whatever but it's admirable but go go on guys um do you want to take that one uh box about women's comics you want i i you know it's it's 
I mean, I mean Aileen yeah. Kaminsky Crumb, you know, is, is which is Crumb's wife. You hear about all the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Fantagraphics recently released a collection of all these women exactly. that were also involved in the underground that don't get aren't R. Crumb, aren't Kim Deitch. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, it, 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 you know, the hippie movement, whatever, was trying to be inclusive and you know was to a certain extent and you know it, it, if you think about like who they're uh where they were coming from previously right these all the stuff was like um you know transgressive at the time yeah. um uh and so yeah uh so there was like uh a lot of different uh comic artists uh involved in this that uh you know you don't necessarily know their names who were um are there any particular uh, uh david any particular female artists that you just connected with it went from five but the the underground press syndicate went from five papers to uh i, I think uh, uh 300 within a few years uh for a uh, readership in the in in the millions so so things were happening in, in real time as well. And I think what did happen, uh, to your point, Rich, was it became very apparent that this was a male dominant uh, situation, you know, not just with the artists, but with editors of the underground press. And then at a certain point in the late 60s, that kind of explodes. And you see there's one from New York called Rat Subterranean News uh uh where um women actually staged a coup and took over the newspaper and um because they perceived it as being a kind of uh you know uh so, i don't know like misogynistic even you know in, yeah. in how they were sexualizing women you know um and it became a it became it went from a regular kind of like underground new, newspaper from new york to a feminist newspaper uh by the next issue um and you you see a lot of that happening that's how women's comics like what you mentioned earlier like yeah yeah with an eye happened uh you know these were amazing artists who felt like it was a boys club and you know artists like shelby sampson uh sharon rudal um and and what i found interesting i mean this is a narrative which i think is quite famous about the six i mean the growth of uh, 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 women's rights, uh, you know, it's it's something that everyone knows about the 60s. What was funny to me is, especially now when weed is so um, apolitical and it's it's commercial and it's, you know, uh, you know, it, it's, it's very divorced from political connotations, was how weed was such a, a potent political symbol that even when it came to feminism, it was adopted. So you, you see like uh, the women's symbol. I, I don't know how else to describe it. The, you know, the circle with the the kind of cross, right. you know, with a weed leaf inside it, you know, and then you see even in women's comics, you know, the, the, that actual series of, of, of head comics by women, they were head comics, you know, and, and it would have like, you know, uh, Tales from Sativa is, is this heroine uh, named Sativa, and she she you know she rides a horse and she picks uh, wild growing weed and uh, sets out to save a corrupt city 
by spreading, you know, raising its consciousness, you know, but only, you know, her superpower is getting high, you know. So feed was even when it came to uh, kind of uh, a, a feminist kind of perspective, it, it was still seen as like a charged uh, a, a political uh, a symbol, you know. I want to, I want to, sh- this is really good. I want to shift for a second because although I can, I can hear what you're saying about, you know, politics, although it's hard because I feel like, I want to get into how racism plays it out in this because I think you make a good point of some of the stuff in the book, David. I know Box does a lot of mm. talk about like how racism is played into this, and, and, and I'm curious to kind of draw a picture of how it looked before and to how it looks now. Mm. Um, and one thing I do want to kind of talk about when we get closer to the end is how is there anything like this that exists these days, or how could someone do something like this? To how could that be done and or could it be done but let's just get into yeah, that yeah i wanted to um mention that before i forget it uh that i read an article recently about how um when cannabis started becoming legal in the u.s and more and more recently like now where it's like everybody's legal and there's this big commercial market and everything that is when uh cannabis press as a counterculture died because now uh, there's the press that covers cannabis now doesn't cover it in a counterculture way at all that because it's funded by the commercial interests in the legal cannabis business. Right. So they, the cannabis publications cover it like, you know, like the way, like a, they cover stocks or something like that. Like, Oh, there's going to be booming money this way and that. And then, uh, you know, uh, there's not that many people covering it as in a, in a serious way. And then there's, cause there's mainstream coverage now in like mainstream press, not the cannabis press, but mainstream press. And whenever they cover cannabis, they kind of still see cannabis as like this, uh, juvenile thing, you know, like the, the articles are filled with puns, like, you know, uh, the mayor's cannabis plans go up and smoke, stuff like that, or like use the word stoner in a pejorative sense in the mainstream press, like all the time. Guys, let me ask you, let me interrupt for a second. Let me ask you a question because one thing I've talked to you about, Brian, is about how like it's uh, Instagram censors a lot of this stuff. I'm sure. not sure if it happens in other social media, but I'm curious if both of you, you know, wh- it doesn't make any sense. I mean, thinking about how big this is a business, why, why is it still being censored? Why do you guys think that in terms of, you know, what do you, I mean, Instagram I'm, is notoriously bad about this for some reason. Like people have even started uh, in the cannabis Instagram world, uh, like, uh, putting a black bar over the words weed and cannabis. Like if they have a text post because they're afraid it will instantly be flagged for deletion and things like that. Um, every big weed account, once they get to a certain size seems to get deleted and cited for like selling weed basically. Yeah. Um, I, I did a post. It was a parody of like a kid's game with cocaine and I got a, cited for selling drugs and i'm like yeah, I, yeah. if i'm gonna sell drugs let me so have you found this up david have you I'm, I'm curious if you have found this in your own posting and also like how it relates 
to this kind of stuff that must have, ha- you know, you found in your research that happened. This system must have started in the 60s. This is not a new thing. Uh, yeah. Well, first of all, it's a, we're in a very weird time. Yeah. You, you, you can get kicked off Instagram at the same time, you know, you have a very corporate weed market. I mean, it'll all balance out. You're, you're seeing some amazingly strange pangs of that, you know, um, but I'm, when did that start though? In terms yeah, of your research and, and I did want to touch on what, what, uh, Box was, was, sure. was, was saying, um, about uh, when weed uh, uh, as a, uh, you know, in publishing, in, in the way, you know, it was uh, talked about, especially in, in the UPS, uh, became uh, more divorced from politics, you know, and, and when stoner culture became maybe more suburban, you know, um, you, you, you know, and, 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 you know, you see a few years ago, High Times, was sold for $70 million. Um, um, So, and this is part of this story of, 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 of my book, which was, you know, you have Tom Fursad. I don't know if you guys have heard that name, but he, he, he was the director of the underground press syndicate. Okay. And um, he had his own underground paper um, called the Orpheus. Um, And before that he was a weed smuggler um, he was a business school graduate who, uh, a former preacher, he, he became a yippie, very involved in the yippies. Um, and, uh, he kind of applied his weed dealing acumen, acumen to, to legitimizing the UPS when he took over as the director into this functioning legal corporation, you know, um, but he also became the founder of high times in, uh, 1974. And there's a direct kind of link, you know, uh, where when he was doing market research for the UPS, he discovered that, you know, 90% of UPS readers were, 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 were pot smokers. And when I say UPS, I'm saying underground press syndicate. Sorry, right. I should yeah. clarify. Um, <laughs> Thank you. you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, and he was like, oh my God, we have this amazing market. There might just be, why don't we create a publication just about weed and call it high times, you know? And it proved to be insanely uh, successful. You know, uh, in 1977, the circulation of High Times was 400,000. You know, this is this is like uh, you know rivaling Playboy. You know, right, right. And 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 Fursad, you know, was extremely paranoid. You know, uh, he he was uh, an absolute kind of like radical. You know, and and I think he struggled. He, he was an outlaw and he kept on, even while he was doing high times, he was funding it with his own weed smuggling. And, um, you know, I love that. Yeah. Well, also like the advertising, uh, in those magazines at the time were, was nuts. Like a lot of them, a lot of those things they were advertising looked pretty illegal to me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, 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 it's totally wild. And, I think also what you see is like in Vietnam, uh, all these soldiers who weren't coming from urban centers who were smoking weed because they wanted to be like jazz musicians or they wanted to, you know, they were interested in the intellectual side of it. You know, they were just soldiers who came from small towns, got introduced to smoking pot, went back to their small towns and wanted to keep smoking pot. 
and just loved smoking pot, didn't think of it as revolutionary activity. And High Times appealed to this growing market of kind of like apolitical pot smokers who just wanted to smoke weed and have fun. You start seeing in these early issues of High Times, you know, it's like the cover is like a boob with chocolate syrup going (laughs) over the nipple. You know, it's not... It's not, you know, someone holding a bong in a fist, you know, mm. talking about revolution. Sure, sure. And 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 so you see in the mid seventies, uh, pot becoming its own culture rather than a kind of means like, for revolution or changing the consciousness of society so they can see through commercial uh, interests and and the war and racism. You know, it's and, it's just let's just get fucking high and, and grow giant butts. Real, real quick, what I like is that you in the beginning of the, of the book you talk about like how a commonality was any of these papers if if you worked for them or you were connecting they would smoke you up and I feel like that it's just a, it's a, it's a small detail but I think it speaks a lot about well, the connection. Narc, it proves you weren't a narc. You know, right. if, if, yeah, if, yeah, yeah. You know, and there was a ton of fucking narcs. narcs. It was. <laughs> It was crazy because they couldn't shut down these these papers were super incendiary, dangerous. That Nixon government saw them as literal threats to the yeah. state, you know. But they couldn't shut them down. But they could arrest them. They could bust their offices for weeks. Right. This, this type of stuff is like what led directly to the uh, scheduling, like the uh, the uh, how they schedule the drugs, drug classifications. Right? Of- yes. Yeah. That's why you see stuff. That's why you can you can tell that it, all the classifications are in are are not properly set up because schedule one drugs are all hippie drugs. It's like mm-hmm. it's like weed, LSD, mushrooms, right, and heroin because heroin was they perceived to be big in the black community. So that was part mm-hmm. of it too. They wanted to go after blacks. Um, and schedule two drug, not as harmful, cocaine. Yeah. They put, you know, they put that I, there. I want to make it just a correlation to like how the powers that be do this. Cause I feel like this is the time it's scarier the times we're in now. Cause I feel like it's a lot of the same stuff, but I feel like it's, it's, it's the same way that they're trying to make laws against drag because they really want to go after que- trans people, you know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I'm wondering if you guys can make a correlation around that is like, you know, I know like Nixon apparently was aware of this and attack, you know, it went after these communities because of the pot. Um, but I'm also really curious about how people, fought, how, people at, fought, how people fought back through subversions. And, Nick, and that to me is Nixon you know, used cannabis yeah. to go after the hippies because he saw that. Right. I thought the people of, I thought also, see, I want to make that distinction because it's important yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that he didn't see cannabis as dangerous. He saw the hippies as dangerous and they smoked cannabis and he could bust them. Wasn't that also an attack on people of black people as well? Yes. yes. That's that's how weed has always been used. It had been used on, uh, you know, Mexicans fleeing the civil war and, Mm. and, and, you know, it was outlawed in California in 1913, El Mm. Paso in 1914 as a way to get like a crude grip on uh, Mexican men. And you see, you see that uh, the arrests for weed in these border towns goes up in direct correlation with the rate of labor organization at the time. Mm -hmm. So this has always been a way to uh, deal with uh, any threat to to power. We'd, you know, so you see it with, uh, you know, um, 
the Latino population. You see it clearly in the 30s with 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 uh, uh, Anslinger, you know, uh, with jazz uh, black, musicians, black people, jazz musicians. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mean, the first celebrity to get arrested for weed in America, Louis Armstrong in 19. Holy shit. Yeah, you know, yeah. it, 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 it was always being used that way. And they so, like st- and it was so met- like they still let him play like that night after they arrested mm-hmm. him. And then like it was just a show, really, you know, because yeah, they all it, loved it, Louis Armstrong. It would be I like mean, they were huge fans of his, but like like the people yeah. that were busting him. Yeah, and, you know, and there was racist kind of then there was there was and then when it becomes, you know, hippies getting busted under the same pretense is, is interesting because they there was uh, there was first of all uh, a fear of of racial mixing they were like oh your your white children are going to get corrupted by smoking weed you know that's that's like um, in the in a uh the movie the old movie uh back in the day whatever for um, madness right yeah yeah, yeah. It's like it's the whole so, sexual that's part of it too yeah it would be yeah like, the sexual thing you know your daughter I'm, is gonna get you know, they're going to use cannabis to manipulate her into sleeping with them and things like that. And it was all racist as well, you know. And David, was, you, and, sorry. It's sorry, just sorry, like Brian. part of the part of the uh, part of the way they would shame, you know, shame people or, or use this to attack them is is to say, like, black people are going to use black men are going to use cannabis to, you know, get your yeah. daughter into bed, you know, whatever. And real quick, real quick, you had met you. You brought up your um, what's his name? Uh, Oh, I'm forgetting the guy. No, 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 no. You talked about that. Um, the guy is John Sinclair, having you know passed two joints to an FBI agent, and then I forget who it was. It was one of the Black Panthers, I believe. Uh, Leotis Johnson. And now he and how he went now and how he had it was one joint and he went to jail for what two, three times the amount. It's all. It's hard not to see a correlation between how cocaine and crack were dealt with mm. that had again using it to be to in racist ways to punish black people for less than oh, most, white people for, most certainly know? the the uh issues we have with prison overpopulation now and just like the commercial prison system in general uh are all almost all of those go back to drug arrests you know, all of once that once Nixon made that change, the pe- amount of people in jail started to climb. And it's not just that; it's not. I'm not saying that all of these people that they arrested were all smoking weed, not not at all. But they were able to use weed as a it smells like uh, weed as a as a way to get in and harass people who aren't smoking weed, and they still do that today. You know, that's why. It's it's important for me that and I talk about it in my work is that like legalization helps people that don't smoke cannabis because people get pulled over and you cannabis is used as a as a excuse to harass even if there's not any cannabis present. Yeah, you know it's I mean that was definitely the case in the eighties nineties and. You know, um, and and I, it lingers even today in in America. Um, and you, you see, th- it, you see what? it. I mean, laws are constantly changing, but you know, there, there's 
in New York now, they, they've tried to, you know, which is very progressive. Um, if, if you have been arrested in the past for weed, they prioritize your ability to get a license to sell it. But there's other states where if you have a prior weed conviction, you're actually uh, prohibited from getting a license. So, mm-hmm. so um, you know, I think in New York, I think that's interesting is it's it's the uh, it's taken a new form because New York legalized public consumption. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you can smoke weed anywhere. You can smoke cigarettes. So now it's really not become a moral thing where you're like, oh, people that smoke weed are bad. They'll be like, I don't mind if people smoke weed, but if you smoke weed in public, you are awful. Like they, they just attack. It smells like weed. Oh, New York just smells like weed all the time now because everybody's smoking weed in public as if that's like the worst thing in the world to it, it's, smell cannabis for like a second while you're walking down. Oh, oh I got to say, though, I, have you have you I was in New York uh, a few weeks ago. It is wild there right now with the oh yeah the, the illegal the, shops yeah it's like food trucks like selling it really meat. is the wild west I mean it like you can crazy yeah. you know and I have friends living in New York who won't smoke the New York weed because they're like I don't know what this shit is like yeah it is it's, it's for real it is because it's tourist <laughs> they're trying weed to get and it from California it's and it's overpriced you know, and stuff it, it's interesting let me ask you guys both a question real quick who are the powers that, like you would have thought. After the seventies, who gives a fuck? Who are the people that? Why? Are, who is still fighting against all this shit? Why? You know, who? Who are the power? Who are the? Who are the people? Who are the? You know, where? Where are the? I'm just curious you know, who the hell is up. making this still a fight it when still, it doesn't matter anymore. It still lines up with um, even centrist status quo people to not smoke weed and not be around weed. And not, you know, see people smoking weed or smell weed, all that stuff. Obviously, the whole conservative, you know, and honestly, this is I I know a lot of people in, in cannabis, right? And they are all far from homogeneous in their politics. It is definitely not like a group of liberals. It right. is people across the whole spectrum, you know. Um, but in terms of what the politicians are playing for is not the conservative that smokes weed. It's the conservative that hates weed, you know? So that whole side of the spectrum is still, uh, it still harbors this like anti-weed thing. And, uh, you know, a lot of the centrist liberal too, it's like this politeness, you know, like be exactly correct and proper thing because they see cannabis as still bad. You know, it still has this, negative connotation to smell like cannabis it, or it's i it's like what you were saying earlier uh uh rich about i mean the trans issue um you know where it's a lightning rod in a culture war that and and you see how kind of uh i don't know these these how they pick these things that are some somehow um I don't know, uh, perceived as having, you know, uh, power, you know, I, I think masks were another thing, you know, you know, like weed now, you know, who one of the biggest investors in weed is, is Matt Gates. you know, it's, it's, it's no one now weed. I, I think no one, Matt no one Gates? Gives a shit. Matt like Gates. a horrible politician, <laughs> Matt Gates. Matt Gates was, uh, yes. was involved in the, in a corruption scandal, uh, 
uh, in the for during the formation of the the cannabis company True Leaf, which is like the third biggest cannabis company in the world, and is mm -hmm. in like every market. Um, and they they the reason they got their first license, one of five, was because of partially because of their friendship with Matt Gates. What doesn't make sense to me in all this conversation, in all this is, you know, I feel like a lot of things change when, when, when in cult, in society and history, when you can make money, then laws change. And so if yeah. you've got a bunch of Republicans who want to make money, why the fuck are they just, why do, you know, if that's, those are the powers that be, in my opinion, like, why hasn't it changed? Like, why is anybody, oh, well, you know, problem. look at COVID, like, we could have solved the economic crisis with marijuana during COVID, yet we didn't. But what so do you, what do you think about that, guys? Part of the problem is, you're right. There are a lot of people with big moneyed interests that that now would want to legalize weed, right? But when you have big moneyed interests behind the push to legalize weed in your state, you end up with a a law that does not benefit the consumer or the individual. It benefits the corporate state. Um, <clears throat> unless you've, you know, and this has to do with, you know. There's certainly, it's certainly in my mind, easy to create a market that's would be healthy and equitable for all people. Uh, it just doesn't happen that way because those Republicans or even, I, I cannot say it's just Republicans because there's tons of Democrats that do the same shit. I got you. You know, they, uh, they want to legalize weed and they want to legalize it in this specific way. So it benefits this group of people the most and, and, and what's what's yeah. hard for me to think about is when it comes down to like the medicinal purposes you know i think about i think about i mean i'm a user of mushrooms um i know nixon not only shut all this marijuana shit down but i know nixon shut down a study of all these cancer patients that apparently like 99 or 100 percent of them after one trip got over the fear of death having cancer mm -hmm. right and so like it's so frustrating to think about how many people are taking these harmful drugs where marijuana or a little bit of you know psilocybin would really take care of that i'm curious i'm just curious i'm curious david what did you what did you what do you what have you found in those areas in terms well, of you know well, what i found I, really interesting i want to talk about this as a health as a health for a minute as a health issue yeah um go, go, going back a little bit uh, uh and, and on that point is talking to the people who fought for legalization okay. and you know, I, I interviewed John Sinclair, who you mentioned oh, earlier. Wow. John Sinclair was, was uh, uh, a, a founder of the White Panthers. A uh, he, he went to jail for uh, handing a joint to a narc who had joined his com who had been hanging out in his commune for six months, um, and uh, went to, was sentenced to ten years. He became a, a, a major figure because of his uh, dispatches from jail you know, where he would tout these radical ideas that were spread throughout the underground press syndicate, you know, um, heavily syndicated. But I interviewed him for the book and him who sees, you know, the the uh, weed, you know, going to jail for 10 years for weed as a as a political prisoner for him, you know, now seeing these right wing politicians making money off it. For him, it's just, uh, just he, he can't believe the level of corruption where he's like, these people wanted to like fucking kill me. These people wanted to imprison me for weed. And now they're all making money off it is like, you know, to me now, I'm like, Matt Gates wants to make money off weed. He's like an anarcho-capitalist or whatever the fuck he is. He's a sociopath. A piece that of makes shit. sense to right. me. 
to, to someone like John Sinclair, it's, it's, it, it, it is astonishing, you know, but also predictable, you know. Um, and I, I, I think that, you know, I think we're seeing now, you, you know, with Michael Pollan, especially when it comes to psychedelics, how, how mainstream, uh, uh, you, know, you know, and then also with, you know, even podcast culture, you, you, you see like, you, you know, with uh, Rogan's show and everything, like there, there's, there's more of a mainstreaming of, of psychedelics, you know, uh, less of a, a, t- a taboo and stigma around them. Um, I, I think it's really happening. And you see even in New York, where they're, wherever they're selling weed, they're also just selling, selling mushrooms. Yeah. Um, um, it's it's only a matter of time. Everyone's already on the next mushroom they're, wave. They're, every, they're like you know. using all the same tactics that they used in terms of legalizing cannabis, where it, you know, um, the first wave is like hardcore for the most vulnerable patients, right? Like with the first wave of legalization um, in 96, uh, Prop 215, whatever, you know, that came out of the AIDS movement. You know, like all these mm-hmm. um, people were dying of AIDS. Uh, pe- they were using cannabis to to like treat their symptoms and things like that. Um, and, and, and you know, then it goes to medical cannabis. We need it for these people, the people that are terminal cancer patients, you know, the people uh, that, you know, they go really hard on that. And it, it, it all, I'm not saying that there was any intention in the cannabis movement because it was just, this is how it happened. Right. But I think in the psychedelics movement, they're looking at what happened with cannabis totally. and being like, let's use this playbook. Yeah. Right. Being like, so like, they're legalizing all these psychedelics, but it's totally this weird medical situation in a lot of places where you have to go and like I, the ketamine thing is the one that's the most yeah. spread, widespread because it's the most like legal. Yeah, and it's it doesn't. I mean, it seems to be working for people with depression. It like really it raises your serotonin levels like in a real way where people are feeling real relief. But it's not recreational. It doesn't seem to be recreational in any way. And it's really expensive. Yeah. Mm. I, I personally use psilocybin therapeutically and I've had some accidents, you know, and I, and what's tr- which crazy is that, like, you know, if I could, if I could call a therapist, even if I have to pay a little more, I don't care. And, and I could have sat with someone and used psilocybin legally, it would have been, you know, that would have been, you know, I wouldn't, nobody would be in, in harm. And it, it just, what really gets me about the politics is that it's affecting every people's daily lives that like, it, you know, making these decisions based on politics is literally killing people, you oh, know, yeah. having not, not allowing people to, you know, again, Nixon deciding, oh, we can't use, you know, psilocybin to cure, you know, to, to ease cancer patients. Like how fucking disgusting is that? And I think that's a part of, you know, I don't like, you know, the politics, when it comes down to harming everyday people because of some bullshit and something you want, that to me is the harm. What are some, what are some wins in that, that you've seen, uh, David, especially in, what are some, what are some wins that you guys have seen of, of fighting this bullshit over the decades? I mean, if you're, if there are, if there are, no. <laughs> no, if you're a podcast, I, have, I mean, it's I, fucking so, great. It's great to be right now. I mean, things are, so I uh, write critically about the cannabis industry all the time, but there are things going on now that even, that even wore my cold heart, right? Uh, there's a law that was uh, a bill that was, was um, produced in Maine uh, that was about, you know, changing the, definition of cannabis from 
whatever, however it's defined now, you know, medical use, drug or whatever, to defining it as food and making it like a carrot or like a tomato in the sense that if you want to grow a million tomatoes at your house for yourself and your friends to like eat tomatoes, that we're not going in and saying you can only have six tomato plants or whatever. So they were, right. that was would be the big change there. You know, uh, it, uh, laws are surrounding how much you can travel with and all things like that around the state. Um, I think that's like what I see as like a a, 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 a sane approach that, that treats cannabis in a way that it deserves to be treated, you know, does it doesn't deserve to be part of the legal system. It deserves to be yeah. agriculture. And so it David, deserves to be a plant. Real quick, yeah, so what, could, what would you I, see? I, I'm, I'm curious on the, on the lead up, the historic lead up to what Brock is yeah, talking about. I, 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 that's what I, you know, uh, to tie it back to the book, that this was a big consideration because what's happening now was very much predicted and also kind of uh, uh, satirized almost like, uh, you know, what was going to happen when because they were sure that weed was going to become legal. It was too absurd, yeah. you know. Um, you know, they didn't know how long it would take, but they were predicting what it was going to be. And you see, you know, these, you know, on the cover of the International Times, which was a, a British underground newspaper, like a, a cartoon about what, you know, uh, uh, commercial weed will look like. It was like a cigarette box, you know, and it had like a, you know, logo and all this stuff. And, um, the, you know, the, a lot of the early legalize legalization uh organizations and, and interestingly these were run by artists and poets you know uh before normal uh, uh n-o-r-m-l which is probably the leading you know legalization uh organization um took over uh these were you know it was allen ginsburg uh and ed sanders uh who were both poets ed sanders of the fugs who started you know uh limar uh, which is uh, legalized marijuana, and they, who, they real quick, who, who who also did the levitation of the Pentagon, which is my favorite fucking political action ever. Sorry, yeah, David, exactly. go back to you. But these are the these are the patriarchs of the of the legalization movement, which is amazing. You know what yeah. Netflix is is benefiting from is is Allen Ginsberg standing outside a prison with a sign saying "Pot is fun." Um, <laughs> what their, their goals what their goals were was never a commercial industry. In 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 their mind, it was free backyard marijuana. That was the slogan for Amorphia, which came out of Limar. And um, that's what they said. It should just be, everyone should be growing. It should be grown. It should be growing on the sidewalk, you know? Yeah. And, and it, it, it shows. It. It's in free, the early, in the early, uh, early cannabis laws, it kind of was like that, right? Like, so the, you, there was no commercial place to buy weed when they legalized weed in 1996. There was no cannabis corporations you had to home grow like that was part and parcel uh, is that you were going to be responsible basically for growing your own cannabis or finding a, a group of people to grow cannabis with and setting up they would have they call them grow collectives that was like the original uh dispensaries right was yeah. like a, a grow collective but this all came out of that mindset and yeah. now it's been so corrupted and so so far taken far, far away from that original concept that we're like begging to get these little things like home grow put put back into it i mean we got delaware and new jersey 
just legalize cannabis without home grow. They're still yeah. giving out felonies for home grow. That's that's wild. I will say though, as just a, a consumer of, of pot, when I was 15 living in Australia, I was buying the shittiest weed in the world. <laughs> you know, just shitty weed. And I was using all my uh, allowance, you know, and Going in, I'm telling your mother, I'm a Jew. I know your Jewish mother would not appreciate this, David. My I'm grandmother who gave me my allowance is even worse. <laughs> right. Same. Um, oh my God. I, I did the same who, thing. Who, 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 I, uh, that's amazing. Yeah. But um, I, yeah, it's true. There was a and, big and, shift. And, and, and I was in danger. I was going into these, I was 15, going into like shady bars, meeting <laughs> criminals, going into the cubicle with, with your a, bubbies and money. With yeah, your yeah, fucking with bubbies and money. Going to a cubicle with a 40 year old criminal to get <laughs> a, a small bag of shitty weed. You know, now, you know, and I got arrested for it when I was 15. I got, yeah. I, got, I, got, I, got I got arrested by the cops. It was, you know. What were the uh, effects of that? Too. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh, Brian, my, my, it was expunged I did, when I when I turned eighteen. But um, uh, you know, and my dad picked me up uh, with uh, saline solution dripping out of his eyes um, for the police <laughs> station. Um, so I didn't get in trouble either. But I mean, he was like, "You're too young to be smoking," which I agree. I, I don't. I don't. I think yeah. fifteen year olds, you know, don't need to be smoking weed. They, I mean, they will, but you can have fun doing anything. I feel like when you're fifteen. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but but I will say now when I go like I've been working on this other book incidentally about um, hippie homes from the back to the land movement and I've been making a lot of trips oh my up god to, uh, up to Northern California and everywhere I go compared to the shitty weed I was getting in a toilet cubicle when I was fifteen compared to now I go to someone's house and they're like hey I just grew this a giant pillowcase size ziploc <laughs> of, of outdoor organic grown weed from they can tell me the provenance of the seed and it smells incredible and it's way too much to smoke in a year and every time <laughs> i know someone's giving me this bag yeah. all about it letting me smell from 12 different varieties yeah. this is i mean it's a it's you know we've come we've got a to celebrate yeah, the yeah, wind yeah. we can talk about corruption and all that stuff yeah, but for yeah. me i mean legalization has i mean for anyone producing it, it's not great. But when it comes to like free backyard weed, to me, mm. I'm living that. I feel. Like. I want you to right. plug that project for a minute because it's very interesting. I I did an interview, um, which isn't out yet. That I think you would dig with Jody Weil. Am I pretty? I'm horrible with pronunciations. She, yeah, I know Jody. Yeah. You know Jody, right? So she's yeah. studied that stuff. I'm, yeah, I'm. I mean, I think you're both in the same world. And I mean, I did a I did a really deep dive, um, researching her mostly on the. Uh, source family, yeah. which is, mm. seems like the is that is that the world's I mean is is that are those the worlds you're kind of looking at in some yeah, way? Interesting. It, it, yeah. And just real quick, way, do you know about these things, Brian? Before I yeah, go this, I know the source family. Yeah. yeah. But but There's it seemed like new book by the way. Uh, I don't. I think Jody was. Uh, Jody, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the, a it's it's, it's source family album. It's all archive yeah. stuff. Mm. Um, Incredible. And then I think Jody earlier did another book, which was she did a sixties and seventies commune book. She yeah. edited it. Her work is amazing. Yeah. But one thing that was interesting about um, that she wrote, there's a, a certain page uh, that she, it's funny, she chose to do the introduction of the family, family Source Family album in the back because she didn't want to give anyone, she wanted people to find their own way through it. But one thing she had said in terms of the early communal living was we're in the same conditions when those things started as we are now. 
where you know in, in, income inequality racism and homophobia like we're in the same conditions and i'm i feel like at a certain extent i've been thinking about communal living in a certain way because i don't know if if we're going to survive if we don't do that at a certain time if things don't change and especially in america with capitalism i don't know if we're going to make it in my opinion well we're in the same conditions except you can't get a giant piece of land in northern california when you're 22 years old for uh 50 bucks a month uh, 50 bucks and a, and a, and a sweater yeah. for your grandma yeah yeah it's, <laughs> yeah it's 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 different in that regard but yes i mean what is worse is kids can't buy houses i, I don't think people like young people now i don't think how no. they're imagining they're ever going to own property you know um and you're also seeing the kind of exploitation of this idea of communal living as a concept for venture capital you know with you know, I, I feel like WeWork is almost like the the, the corruption oh of, of that idea. Um, but um, yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't know, I, I, because I've been working on this project, I, I get that question a lot like, oh, well, what can you learn from the back to the land movement today? You know, um, I think a, a lot of the principles have already been commercialized, like uh, food cooperatives or, or, or you know, uh, uh, whole foods, you know, organic food in general. Uh, I mean, I would say that a lot of the the, cal the artisanal weed, how California led the world in quality weed, was a result of the back to the land movement. Nice. Um, um, and the and the weather. Uh, like a direct <laughs> correlation today. How the the lessons you can take from um, the back to the land movement. I think today is such a different time. Um, that the unfortunately i'm seeing like most of it is 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 like corporate uh, uh schemes yeah. about how, how we can you know uh, leverage kids being you know lack of community how can we how we can sell this idea of communal living to to young people i yeah. mean it's the same question about ups it's like you know that was also the same framework of like this is how you survive this you know i interviewed um, um a woman named Fayette Hauser, who was, I don't know if you're familiar with the Coquettes. Yeah, for sure. And oh, Joe and Cauliflower commune. Yeah. Right. So like what I love about that. And again, it's like, you know, from talking to Fayette and, 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 um, I think, I don't know if Jody had a part, they, they know each other. I don't know if Jody, I think Jody had a part in publishing the Coquettes book, which is a similar book of archive information. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, they, they had all these different communes and each one of them, one was for food, one was for healthcare, one was for, one wouldn't just fix people's cars. But they all, mm. you know, in the same way UPS worked together, they survived that way. And I just, I love this idea that when you have all these people doing their own small thing together, it's a, it's only, I feel like it's the only way you can really get it out there. I mean, even our, even this podcast, you know, I don't really, you know, like I don't have a big, you know, we're getting, we have a big, I have a big following on the page, but you know it's hard. It's hard when you're just starting your own thing to get even people to hear it. So mm. I'm curious. I'm going to do one another ten minutes and call it a day. But like, what? What? I know we can't fix things, but how have you? What have you guys seen? What are your ideas? Speaking around marijuana, uh, you know, uh, legalization, whatever it is, on how we could, how things could get better. I want to. I want you guys to have a conversation about if you're cool with that together. I'll stay out of it for like 10, 15 minutes, and then we're just going to call it a day if that's okay with you guys. Are you okay with that? Uh, I want to keep talking for another couple of hours if that's. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, if you want to come over and edit it and be my guest, 
Um, I have, I have not, you know, speaking of marijuana, it's the only way I can get the edit, these things edited and it's, it's not helpful these days. It's funny. You think about like, um, there was a thing that came up a few years ago in comics, right? Um, it, it, there was all this, you know, there's all this, when you promote yourself now as an artist, you're, you're beholden a lot, like you were saying before to Instagram and Twitter and algorithms and all these different things, um, which is, which is bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Utter <laughs> fucking bullshit, right? Um, and so you're always like trying to find a, find a way to break, you know, break through that. And 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 somebody at some point was like, we should just be making zines. Zines are awesome. Zines are like the freest, easiest expression of your ideas and your art. They're, it's very accessible to all these people, right? And this is a friend of mine uh, talking about her comic zines. She had a whole thing about how to make a zine, how to you know, the stapling and folding, all this stuff. And it kind of went viral on the internet. And some of the response, the some of the responses to it were like, zines are actually, uh, you know, inaccessible to people. Uh, this is a an elitist position. Oh, God. Because the internet is, is people can't uh, afford to print and get to the print shop and, and all this different stuff. So it's like, I, part of me is like, yes, the, I want the rise of the zine to come back and, and, and to be this form of self-expression that it was. But like, I don't know if that's uh, happening. And, and now it's just kind of like a nostalgia thing. I think the new, the new radical voices will kind of probably come in a different form um, rather than go back to the forms of uh, its forebearers. I mean, it's definitely, you know, uh, look, on the one hand, print, and and I'm saying this like tying it back to the culture of the underground press, you know, um, uh, as a, me a means of information is one thing, but it, when you have print, you forge in-person uh, uh, community, um, which I do think is important to talk about now, you know? So each of these offices, of the underground press syndicate they would you could start your own newspaper join the syndicate from any small town you were in and and that's what happened and they would report locally on what was going on locally and if it was interesting it would get reported in sweden someone would take that article and report it in sweden about like your local cop you know um but it also these offices became the headquarters for the people in town who wanted to be close to that information that's where all the other underground press papers were that would come in because they were getting sent with each issue and then you could work on them because it was you weren't getting paid and you could well that's why a lot of these illustrations in my book were done by amateurs because they were just filling in space and they were just hanging out of the office yeah mm. i think that having print and physical things bring people together in the same room you know and 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 that still exists it's really I mean, interesting i'm not i'm not like uh, denigrating digital culture. So, you know, I, what you do, Rich, is so cool. What both of you guys do, I can access now online. I can read. Yeah. Fucking amazing. I, you know, that I can access music when before yeah. I had to like, go to a record store sure, and sure. listen to what they're, I mean, that's all fantastic. All this stuff, yeah. If, yeah. if we're talking about like print and the value of zines, I mean, I used to own a bookstore, you know, in LA. And it, what it meant is that someone brings their zine in, you meet them, other people yeah. come into the store, they meet other people in the store. And I and people like that. They you yeah. know it's not just the tactility of reading it that's enjoyable. It's 
exchanging it with people in person and um, and then taking it home and having that yeah. sensation with it that, um, that 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 I don't think digital will ever you know yeah. uh, take over want, from and and, uh, and and I think that forging that actual sense of in person community yeah. is going to have value and I think that just to tie it in just so because I'm on the same page as you. Um, I'm not quite there yet because of my following, but my whole goal, I mean, the whole reason of really doing the podcast was to get it out in the world and get it away from social media so people could listen to it in their car. People could, it could yeah. be part of people's lives. And one thing I'm trying to do now is do more, um, is sponsor things, do more, um, I don't know if you guys know the uh, to, to to bring it out in the world and bring the community together because you know we're you know you know again three of us are super nerds who spend a lot of time on our own and disconnecting like we've opened up all these worlds and conversations by the three of us in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I just want to say I want to end this and I want to so one one thing I want to say David is I in the last uh, six weeks once they started to kind of ban drag I decided I wanted to kind of use my Judaism as a way to tell queer Jewish black stories because I know that like if I don't you know if I know that there's a lot of support in those communities and there's a lot of car you know overlap but to me knowing the history I think about like early you know not early Nazi Germany I know that I know that the Jews are are, are going to be attacked next and I rather and so to a certain extent I wanted to kind of claim that but also bring black stories and queer stories. What I'm curious about, and you, and you in this book or anything you're doing, what is Jewish? What feels Jewish? I don't mean religious. I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist. What is? What I believe in the 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 the. the I believe I was taught a certain amount of being Jewish. I was taught things that I feel like made me want to be a good person and help people. I'm curious if there's anything in this world in this work that feels Jewish to you. And again, so not funny. religious. Yeah. This is another podcast, and you and you can answer that as well. But a few minutes. But let me start with Aileen, Aileen uh, Kaminsky Crum was Jewish, and uh, her yeah. comics are awesome, and and they're about you know being a Jewish woman and stuff like that in the you know the last twenty thirty years. Yeah, and I don't limit. I don't know. I, there are certain ideals in Judaism that I don't limit to only Jews. I mean, to me, you know, knowing Brian. Brian's a man. She's a good guy. Like he's a Jew to me. Like people, you know, Sarah, your wife is the most Jewish person I know who's not Jewish. In fact, we were in a we were in a musical together. That's how I know Brian, where she played a Jew, and she's the most Jewish person I ever met, and she's not Jewish. But it's about you know, people. I know a lot of people. Yeah. Like so I'm just curious. I just want to I want to connect because I want to put this yeah, episode. I, I can draw a in connection with connection. that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, literally, and I and I talk about this in the book. Um, there was a wildly disproportionate number of uh, Jewish editors of Underground right. Press Syndicate and also legalization advocates to the point that Nixon uh, was uh, recorded saying, I don't know what's wrong with these Jews and why they're obsessed with weed legalization. What's wrong with them? You know, um, I'm paraphrasing. But um, I, I was talking to Abe Peck. I interviewed him for- Who is uh, that? Who is that? Got he curiosity. was the editor of the Chicago Seed. And nice. he was like, oh, I see the, the you know, uh, he wrote he wrote maybe the most, uh, uh, I, I guess, important book about the underground press, uh, uh, you know, uh, a written book. Um, and uh, so he's like probably the foremost authority, I would say. And he was like, yeah, I think weed as a thread to talk about the underground press is one way to do it. There's another book uh, called Sex Press, which was the underground press through the sexual revolution. Hmm. You know, but he was like. The other one would be probably Jews in the underground press. 
you know? Um, he was like, someone should write that book, which is funny. And I mean, like why it's a thing is, I think, you know, you can go back to uh, that generation, you know, seeing their parents as immigrants, a lot of, uh, you know, struggling, working class struggles, same with a why, uh, you know, a lot of Jews went back to the land, you know, not wanting to replicate seeing their parents be exploited, yeah. having those progressive politics and wanting to be radicals, you know, and also experiencing that post they their parents had experienced the Holocaust. And I think a lot of their uh, sense of uh, needing to uh, assert themselves on society when they sensed, especially like racial inequality, yeah. And um, and politics gone awry, you know, and and having that trauma in their families, I think, uh, was a huge uh, impetus for um, a lot of that activism. I want to disconnect. Um, it's been a very. And I, I'm. I feel like there's a reason that it's weird. There's a lot of interviews I've done that I didn't know the person was Jewish. And to be honest, this whole project, this whole podcast, was originally going to be a Jewish-themed thing, but it seemed limiting. But there's been four or five interviews that were Jewish that I had no idea. I didn't know you were Jewish from the. I don't think I realized your name. Um, but it's been then interesting. You saw, I, then you saw. Then you saw me, and you were like, "I was oh, like, that, yes." That, that but what's definitely what? What even when you're talking about now? I had an inter I had three three things this week that I did. Two interviews, one movie. I rewatched Frisco Kid. Have you seen that? I love that. Movie. I oh love my god! Kid, Fucking, yeah. it's a one of the anyway. So, and then I and I, I rewatched that because I was interviewing a woman who just made a documentary called Jews of the Wild West. Yeah. Which again gets into all you know gets into the multiculturalism of Judaism of why it's not just for us in some you ways. You know who loves that movie? Hasidic Jews, because it's about a uh, it, religious emissary. Yeah, um, you know, it's um, about someone who it's about like you know he could have you know it's almost like a retold Bible story of like Abraham. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever, have you ever seen that movie, Brian? What was the movie? Oh my God, it's the best. It's Gene. It's Gene Wilder. And Harrison Ford is a, is a duo who really it almost plays like a love story between the two of them, which is which to me is really the best part of the movie because they act like a couple more than they act like friends. Um, and it's they send Gene Wilder from I don't know where I think Poland um, yeah, to be the Poland, rabbi in like, San Francisco, rabbi, the, uh, old world kind of rabbinical character in the Wild West. Yeah, and it's a serious film, but it's also very humorous. But the humor is dry and amazing. Um, and when I when I thought about it, um, when somebody interviewed named Perry Shaw, Brian knows Philadelphia guy, mm -hmm. you know, we talked about that movie a while, and I realized that was the first time I think I think I saw it at nine or ten that I even understood anti-Semitism was. And the other interview I just did, which again ties all this, is I interviewed a man, um, uh, Rabbi Gershom, who is a third-generation African rabbi. Yeah. Right. And I just felt like you know, even my own my own self as a Jew, like. There's got to be stories of color of other cultures within our story that need to be told. And who else is going to tell it if I don't? I, I, I noticed that on the your uh, what you the, you know what you've been collecting, especially um, those the, the photography of the Harlem. Uh, uh, oh man, that stuff is amazing. I, I, incredible. I, I mean, I, does I, that play into the? In, does, does any of that play into who you are and what you want to do? I mean, you do, you know, you do talk about the Black Panthers. I mean, obviously you're not just including, you know, in, in, in terms of your work, it seems like you are being inclusive in that way. Well, if you're talking about weed, it's, this is, it, you can't not 
talk about the the racial implications right uh, uh, you know it's but the Judaism is is that this idea that we're supposed Sadaka heal the world this idea that Jews are supposed to be the ones that kind of do that and sadly what I'm seeing is the Jews that are supporting the opposite which is a whole it's not a conversation I want to have right now but it's scary to me how many how how many Jews like you know when 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 uh, Trump finally got some you know when he got uh, he got when he was he was charged with criminal he blamed you know George Soros like and I've had people talk about George Soros who are Jews and I'm like don't you understand that's a dog whistle like it's how are you just, it does, it you know it's nothing. just I mean it it almost never is actually referring to it the guy George Soros it's just is like yeah. and it's the same bullshit that you know that you write in this book about you know that your history in terms of like how the Mexican you know how I know that you talked to uh, Brian about like marijuana was was came out of was called that because of trying to demonize uh Mexicans yeah. correct mm. absolutely sound in Spanish yeah that was Ansling that's Anslinger really <sighs> yeah yeah oh, yeah so you know cannabis previously yeah right because it was like oh no the Mexican wheat pile weed coming up for Mexico. And it yeah. really, a lot of it was your, you know, about uh, the early laws were all about um, Mexican immigrants more than yeah. anything else. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But the immigration story in Judaism is so, to me, it's such a lesson. Yeah. In terms I, of blame, in terms of the hatred of immigrants, it's important that I think these lessons are being taught about immigration because, you know, it, it's, it, you know, the, the I'll, rec I'll recommend you watch the movie about um, Jews of the, of the Wild West because it, point, it points a picture of all this bad shit going on, the pogroms, all this stuff that Jews are dealing with. Um, there was something, some law that the Jews couldn't get married if they didn't have a certain amount of money. Uh, Jews couldn't do certain jobs, so they came here because they, as immigrants, because they were being killed, and they couldn't get work. And they were, you know, they had to come here. And what's interesting is like the the Sakame tells the story of uh, Levi Strauss of um, Guggenheim family, and it's like if you think about that, all, all these you know Trump fucker assholes are saying like, oh, the, all the you know all the immigrants they bring down, and it's like these guys have you know those two families alone have brought billions and billions of dollars to our country. Yeah, Le Levi Strauss is a good one. Uh, 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 he was a gay Jew as well. Oh, I didn't know that. Nice. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and 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 became absolutely. That's why those jeans were always fitting so tight? Correct. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, Labe Labe Strauss. Uh, okay. Yeah, uh, but um, but yeah, as a you know, it's it's amazing that yeah, a a gay Jewish immigrant uh, became a symbol for American culture, the American West. You know, um, it, it, it's it, yeah. I mean, what is America is uh, is defined by immigration. I, I mean, obviously, uh, I, I I I totally I couldn't agree more. I, I it's hard to kind of I can't uh, suggest a you know that there's kind of like a monolithic uh, Jewish uh, perspective, no, perspective uh, on this. And and I think yeah, you have. You know, uh, uh, on every on every side of of, of an issue, I feel like you're going to have a loud Jewish voice. You know, um, one yeah. one weird if, thing if I found one well, thing that is monolithic. I would yeah. say it's 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 the uh, a, it's going to be like a heterogeneous. It's going to be a loud. It's going to be a loud. Opinion, yeah, going to be a of the issue. Yeah, I can't I can't think about like without like I can't think of loud Jews without thinking about some 
Rick Moranis character from SCTV. There's just there's this boisterous kind of like manager. Um, I'm going to end this up. I'm going to end this one thing. I want to say one thing. And I found something which is I didn't post because I don't want to get canceled. But literally, it's a it's a bunch of images of Nazi soldiers in drag performing. And I didn't post that because, again, I don't I don't want to deal with the repercussions of that. Why are you promoting Nazis? But I wanted to post like, hey, Florida, even, you know, hey, Tennessee, even fucking Nazis were OK with drag. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 and uh, I don't know. It's this and it's hard not to think about Nazis being an American right now as a Jew. I, I don't you know, I hate to put it like that. But like when you have people in the fucking when you have someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene who believes in this crazy motherfucking shit so close to the presidency. I don't know why more Jews aren't f- freaking the fuck out and, and doing more. I don't know what you can do. I don't, I don't know. I'm just trying to have conversations and start there. But like, um, I don't know how, you know, I don't know how the fuck, and I don't know. It's scary to me where we're at. And I don't, and I've, it's scarier to me that certain Jews don't seem to notice that this has happened or don't care. It's, it, you see it. I think social media has uh, given access to that, very like racist perspective like you know you you know before social media I kind of like knew that there might be you know Nazis or anti-Semites or people that were anti-gay or but they weren't in my network they weren't like people I interfaced with and now I go on social media and I, I I follow accounts that just espouse these views just out of curiosity and uh, and you see how in depth it really gets, you know, like the Soros conspiracy and the, oh my God. you know, and and uh, it, it, how these Reddit groups, uh, you know, like the 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 whole lexicon or lexicon around it all is is it, you can you can understand you can kind of get a sense of this culture, and I think that is maybe why people like you and may everyone having this conversation are more frightened of it, particularly now because it's it's you can access these wild views and 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 actually it's it's right in front of you yeah you know and i think that's maybe why marjorie taylor green is popular is is because of the internet as well you know sure and you're incentivized to be outrageous as well exactly yeah i just don't think people realize you know even with trump underneath the joke of it all how serious it is oh yeah and i think and i want to draw a parallel to your book in, 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 you know, obviously there's a lot of activism in your book and I think the best thing you can do, and this is what I try to do in the page. And I think this is what Brian's work does is, is show the past and be like, look, we've, this is not new shit we're dealing with. And I think again, the most you can kind of tell the story, that's the best you can do. And I think that's why you have Florida trying to like, you know, censor black history. Cause they don't want people to know the fucking story because they know the power of that. And I think yeah. that's why like both your work to me is very important because it tells the reality of this so at least people can know and make their own decision it's and it's getting scarier yeah, it's getting scary that we're censoring yeah. all these books because of that mm. yeah. what are your let's let's finish this in 10 and let's do one more question about how <laughs> how do you i mean it's, this is a very interesting conversation i how do you how do you do you fear do you guys fear censorship right about now uh, I, in both uh, of your work, I don't. I definitely don't want my account to be deleted. On I mean more the. Bu- I mean book censorship. Sorry, that much. No, honestly, uh, the book censorship. I want to talk about physical stuff because I think you made a good point about David about community and physical objects and celebrating them. So I'm curious on like if you know how your thoughts are of censorship of your materials in the physical world. If we can, if we can talk about that. 
So the book bands coming in, um, you know, one of the most banned books in in the country is a comic called Gender Queer. Really? Uh-huh. And uh, I have to say, like, the, the fact that it was reported on being banned so often boosted its sales and made it into an right. enormously huge. Like, it was right. totally struck. I'm not saying this as anything against the book. I actually haven't read it. It looks good. I'm not saying it it, it, it doesn't deserve the accolades it's gotten but part of the it, part of the book bans completely backfired like they're trying to get this book out of people's right. vision and what they what they do is end up promoting it all over the country yeah. so I more, love that more people know about it so like it's it's it, you know it, it's completely backfiring the book bans what about you david have you ever had any issues with your books your content um yeah i mean I, I, I mean, book banning to me seems very antithetical to uh, how I perceive of uh, American, uh, what makes <laughs> what makes America, America. Um, and, you know, there's, in my book, there's a situation where one of the guys who created one of these grower guides, uh, the printer he was using was being um, harassed um, by the, by the cops, by the FBI. Uh, who were sending cops over there and wouldn't print his book. And the only way he could get it printed was going to a far-right newspaper at the time who believed so so much in free speech that he was like, even though I hate you, you're a hippie and I hate weed, the fact that the FBI is trying to shut down your free speech for publishing How to Grow Weed offends me even more. And right. as a far-right guy in that town, he knew the FBI, he knew the local cops who were being, um, you know, uh, uh, controlled by the FBI and said, you've got to leave this guy alone and we're going to print it and print it on his own printing press because he published a, a far right newspaper, which is the most funny, ironic situation. Um, and I feel like that's playing out a little bit today where everyone, both sides are complaining about book banning and, and censorship, you know, right. where you see, you see them saying, oh, you know, uh, the, the the right are saying, oh, you're you're going back and you're changing words in um, Roald Dahl books, and uh, you know uh, you're censoring. You know this is part of your agenda is to censor the classics so they don't offend your progressive, you know, cause. And then the the progressives are saying, you know, you're banning books that discuss the history of racism in this country. You know, um, it's. It, it, it's but it's a very ironic, weird, disorienting yeah. situation. But it, it it's it's funny because both sides are espousing you know the same thing, which is like freedom of speech. You know, I just I recently watched the Judy Bloom documentary, and you know you 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 know she dealt with that shit. I always feel like the seventies were a freer time when you look at some films and hear music and books. But <clears> like <throat> I, I I also don't understand. It seemed like we were heading to a place where this is all okay. And then it just started to go down, downhill. And it seems, at least in America, it's all about the fucking religious, the religious right. About, you know, this idea that, well, I, you know, your shit doesn't fit, fit into my worldview and, and to no one else should see it, which I don't fucking understand at all. It's very, it's, 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 I, I will say that, that I can't relate. Maybe if we're going to bring it back to the Jewish thing. <laughs> I, I I really cannot relate. I, I I'm curious about it, but I cannot relate to the uh, Christian right. It's very, 
you know, as someone who's, you know, I, I, I know a lot of religious Jews, my, my both sides of my family are Orthodox Jews, and I, and I know they can be very dogmatic. Yeah. But it's still very different to the, to the Christian right and, um, and very foreign and, and, and quite scary, I, I find, you know, that, 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 that level of, uh, of dogma informing uh, 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 law. Uh, it, 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 I, that I find, I do find frightening. And I'm actually, to be honest, I'm very scared about having any conversation that includes Zionism or Israel in any of this stuff for that same reason. Uh, it's a, that's, that's another podcast. Right, but I'm yeah. just saying like in terms of that's my fear is like even, even, you know, even being very happy about being open as a Jew, I don't even want to get into that because that's a whole, that's where like, that's where you feel like, I don't know, that's a whole other thing that I don't want to, I don't want to get into. And I feel like that's as scary as anything else when you're getting it from where you're, I don't know, you know, when you're seen as like, I'm seen as some radical liberal when it's just about humanism. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. But I it's, do love that conversation, though, just as someone who is Jewish, who's not Israeli, yeah, uh, like who's expected to have an opinion on that, whether that's justified or not, you know, like, I don't know if you read the, 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 uh, I think it went on the Pulitzer for literature. Uh, I'm not a big reader. I'm very, dys very dyslexic and not a great reader, but uh, maybe Brian yeah. has. <laughs> the, the, the Joshua Cohen book, um, no. Netanyahu's. I think, uh, if I, I think that book, um, really kinda, okay. uh, captures that sense of, um, feeling, whether you should be responsible for that situation, whether you should, you know, feel like that this is something that is is your responsibility to 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 be involved in or something, you know. Yeah. You know, I, I I a lot of my Jewish friends are ambivalent about about that. You know? And just to tie this back to your work, and then we're gonna call it a day because I just feel like this is a good amount of time. When I um, there's a documentary I recommend. It's not the best documentary, but it's interesting. Called uh, Do you remember the Panthers? And there was a period of time, which I'm bringing this up because it ties into the the, the um, UPS in terms of Black Panther material, because the, there was the a Israeli Jew, Black Panthers? the Israeli Black Panthers, which was yeah. established to fight to, you know, in terms of a socialized, my understanding of a socialized government that was giving a lot more to the Eastern European, yeah. uh, you know, um, uh, what do we call it? What is our, uh, what's, what's, what's the name again? I forget. Uh, it's with an E. What are the Eastern European Jews called? The Ashkenazi Jews. Ashkenazis, which I, you know, I just call the people that deal with allergies and IBS. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, towards the Spanish Jews. And like, when I saw the documentary, I'm like, wait, I didn't we, didn't even the Jews, how have we not learned to not support each other? How the fuck are, why, why is there a, why is, why did racism get in the way of even within Judaism. It, it, it blew me away, blew my mind. And that's a really good story too. And apparently, I don't know, I recommend that documentary, but they apparently had such power in numbers that they were cored by every power, every political party. And apparently Golda Meir doesn't, was not a fan and they fucked with Golda Meir a lot, which I, you know. They, they're very, very radical. Yeah, I, I um, it's, it, and it's interesting how they, you know, adopted uh, uh, the American kind of like activist yeah. symbols. Um, yeah, look, I mean, Israel was founded by uh, European communist Jews, you know, uh, right. 
who who couldn't relate to the uh, maybe the the the, the Middle Eastern uh, Jews who arrived and were yeah I mean there was xenophobia. Um, let, uh, tell me, I want I want you just to plug your. I want uh, either of you guys working. I want you guys to plug your stuff, and then we're gonna call it a day. Brian, you're working on anything that you want to just let people know about in terms of this this conversation or in general? Oh uh, yeah, <clears throat> my weekly uh, comic strip. Uh, legalization nation uh, covers uh, uh, the cannabis industry and legalization and uh, how that's rolling out. Uh, and you can find that on my Twitter and my Instagram. Both accounts are box Brown. Uh, also, I have a book coming out in July called the human effect, uh, which is about uh, the, the unholy alliance of children's toys and media. Uh, and so check that out too. What about you, David? Is there anything, you know, you want to, you want to talk about I mean, how people can find your work, that kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, the, the books still pretty fresh. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, learned, I highly, I, I love this book. I highly, highly recommend it's a, it's fair price for what it is. Um, yeah, I, we, I really, yeah, we, I, we you know, make it affordable. One yeah. of the, one of the funniest things I thought about it was when you, the first page with the table contents, it seems designed to confuse the reader, which I like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it, um, it is. maybe that it's, wasn't it, the point, but I, it's a mishmash. It's, I love, I just, yeah, I like the format. It, you know, I, I, I did want it to feel like you could open it at any page and kind of get lost in it. So, yeah. And I like that you used even the paper you use, which is a, which is a, you know kind of speaking about all the you use like a, a newsprint, which I think was very smart yeah. in terms of recreating and just the message of the book. Yeah, yeah, it was it, really. I highly recommend. Please, please, you know, please. It uh, seemed weird to me considering the like it would be weird to use uh, uh, an expensive material. Yeah. When what I the reproductions that I was showing were printed on something far inferior. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It seemed like uh, ironic or something, but yeah, it's 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 a mishmash of a ton of different material uh, that I obsessively collected over a few years, going to different archives around the world. Um, and there's written information, you know, lots of it's it's uh, you know there's there's a lot of written information, there's a lot of imagery, um, and then there's a lot of ephemera uh, that was uh, photographed. So I, I I like the idea you don't have to like read it from beginning to end, but you can kind of open it anywhere and find a narrative on, on that page to kind of immerse yourself in. Nice. And, um, do you have a website in, for your work in general, or is it, is it just tied no. to, that's um, okay. You can, you can find the book in any, in any bookstore, um, uh, or you can buy it online. Um, try to buy it from an independent online retailer. I want to thank you guys. I want you to think about this episode. I need to think about of the shit that I said. I'm like, I just said, talked about Nazi drag queens. Maybe this is maybe not maybe not a great idea. But just think it over for a few days. I think this is a great conversation. I think we need free conversations. And I don't, you know, luckily without a sponsor, I don't have to worry about what I'm saying. But you know, I don't know. In some ways, I want I want to get controversy because I just feel like that would help the work. But I'm not look I'm not looking for it. It's not, I'm not shopping for that. I'm not trying to taunt anybody. Um, but yeah, if you got, you know, th th you know, I, I want to thank you so much. It was a pleasure, David and Brian. I just feel like it was great. Um, yeah, but think about what you want to, you know, think about if anything needs editing, 
Um, and, and we'll go from there. And um, I would love to, when, you know, Dave, when you get another book comes out, I'd love to at least promote it or maybe interview about that because that seems like a really interesting book as well. That's, that's so, a little ways off, but yeah. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, get in touch. Um, okay. Yeah, thanks so much, man. It was great, really great meeting you. And thanks, Brian. Like, I'm glad you guys connected. I would encourage you guys to talk because it seems like you guys are in very similar worlds, totally. you know? Yeah, I'm glad we're all connected. This is this is this is my uh this is my vibe yeah thanks again man and uh you know enjoy, next next shabbat enjoy a good uh enjoy enjoy a nice hit for me yeah you too all right take care guys keep it very simple and thank you very much for just listening to the episode this is episode 37 our hope is to bring out another 13 before our one-year anniversary september 24th um, again we could use all the help we can get um, we're looking for sponsors we're looking for producers uh, i'm hi- very proud of this thing i've done i've done it mostly myself i've got a little help here and there and uh, i really i want to continue it i think it's very strong I, our, our guest list to me is is Everyone on there, whether they're known or not known, are just world-class uh, people and, and artists and musicians and all kinds of stuff. So again, check it out. Vintage Annals Archive is the Instagram. Vintage Annals Archive Outsider is the, the podcast. Is the podcast, and we also have a, a, a Jewish version of this called the Jewish Vintage Annals Archive, which this kind of falls into because of David uh, being Jewish. Anyway, thank you so much, and until next week or next time, thank you. Thought and if